With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has Rome. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. McKinley Wright from the logo. Welcome into the DNVR Buffs podcast presented by Green Mountain Dental Group. I'm Henry Chisholm, and uh, today is Pac-12 Media Day, or it was. I just wrapped up all of these calls um, with all of the head coaches from all of the Pac-12 teams. Um, All 12. And they were each 30 minutes, and that means I've been sitting here for six hours. Uh, It was a lot of fun, a whole bunch of good information, and here's what I did. So... um, Everything was structured with 25 minutes with one of the coaches and then five minutes off and then 25 minutes. So it's basically 30 minutes per coach. In those five minutes off, I basically just like explained what we learned from that coach. And uh, that's what you're about to hear. Um, If you only care about what Carl Durrell had to say, um, let's see, how far in is this? I'm not sure exactly how far in it is but i can say he was second to last so if you just go backwards from the end you can find carl durrell but there was a lot of good stuff from all these coaches um so here you go here's what we learned from i don't even remember who was first it was so long ago whoever you're about to hear me talk about okay so usc uh we learned a couple quick things i don't have a lot of time because there was some more talk in between for like media stuff because it was like the first one and some things weren't going right. Uh, so I kind of have to fly through, but here's what we know. Um, one interesting note for Buffs fans. So Clay Helton said that the last two weeks, the two weeks that were the increased work from 12 hours to 20 hours, but the Buffs couldn't do it because of the health order. Uh, he said that the first week they were really working on individual drills, trying to get people ready with that kind of stuff. This week was about scheme and implementation. He really did like reiterate how important these two weeks were. Um, for Buffs fans, it's not a great thing to hear. I think that I kind of hoped that it was not that big of a deal, but it sounds like they did some important work. They were also backed up because they were going through different rules than everybody else because of California and L.A. Um, quick note, Todd Orlando, the new defensive coordinator, Clay Helton is really excited about him uh, for a bunch of different reasons. He sounds like the kind of guy who's the like big screaming 
<laughs> defensive coordinator, kind of almost like an angry type of guy. Um, but he's, Helton said that he's a really great communicator um, and emphasized that over and over and over again when talking about him. Uh, good demeanor, good coach, all that kind of stuff. But also, this, he said the reason he wanted to bring him in was because he's coached against him. And when he's coached against him, it's it's always been really tough because of the disguised coverages. You just don't know what you're going to get really creative defensively. Um, that'll be interesting to watch this season. Uh, he was asked, Clay Helton was asked, who has really impressed him over the last few weeks, um, and he said Amonra St. Brown has the urgency to be great, and he's put himself in a position to have a great third season. Um, not a huge surprise, but uh, scary, scary for the rest of Pac-12 because Amonra St. Brown has all of the tools, uh, projected first-round pick. Like He could wind up being the best receiver in the country this year, and the fact that he got singled out first is a good sign. Um, also, Keaton Slovis, the quarterback, he said that there's great chemistry between him and offensive coordinator Graham Harrell. Um, they seem to be vibing. Keaton has like better timing, better accuracy, better chemistry with the receivers. Now that he's in the second year in the system as a sophomore. Um, and he said that the uh, secondary is progressing and he seemed really excited about it. They have like five stars, four stars all over that secondary, but it kind of underwhelmed last year. Brought in two uh, secondary coaches, kind of like the Buffs did, uh, a safeties coach and a corners coach. He said it's been great, and he used the phrase elite platinum level. So that is terrifying. Again, haven't seen it from USC yet, but, uh, you know, they uh, they have the talent. Um he was pretty excited for the first game. He got asked whether he was scared of like the 9 a.m. Pacific starts. Not scared. That wasn't the word. But he said that he was really embracing it, that uh, that's a chance to play at noon in front of the entire country. And uh, he thinks that there are going to be a lot of eyes on that game. He said that ASU isn't just one of the best teams in the conference, but has a real chance to be one of the best teams in the country, um, which is something I've been saying. And it's something that I've been really excited to see is this particular game. Um Stress the importance of winning each week. Um, really need to focus this year because there's just no way that you can lose a game and do anything that you want to do. Um, one more note. Uh, oh, he said that going into the season with the new defensive coordinator, one of the things that he's going to be looking for is uh, just people who can pick up on the system quickly because they are implementing that system right now. And maybe it isn't the most talented guys, the guys who are the best one-on-one -on -one in coverage, the guys who have the best field for zone. It's the guys who understand the system and can execute the system and prove that over the next month, um, which is interesting. Um, and I'm not sure exactly how that'll play out, but uh, it got me thinking. Maybe it'll get you thinking too. All right, I got to jump back on this call, uh, and I'll be back with Utah in a second. All right. Um, Really don't have a lot of time again. Just talked to Utah head coach uh, Kyle Whittingham, who showed up in an Eddie Van Halen shirt, um, was asked who his top three favorite guitar player or top three best guitar players ever were. Went with Jimi Hendrix, Eric Clapton, then Eddie Van Halen, which I guess is important. Um, he said that he does think that uh, Pac-12 teams should have a chance at the college football playoffs. Seven games, he said, is more than enough to prove that you're a good team. Um, he did say that it's been kind of a couple of down years for the Pac-12, but he doesn't, he isn't really concerned about it. He just says like, it's a good balanced conference. And that means that sometimes teams beat better teams and those teams don't get a chance to go play for a national title. Um, 
he does say that it'd be nice if one of the Pac-12 teams would just have a breakout year. And this year he said 7-0, and maybe 6-1 and could get you into the college football playoff. Uh, I, I don't think he probably believes 6-1 and gets you in. Who knows what the chaos that's going on around college football. But uh, I would guess that by saying maybe 6-1, and that means uh, definitely 7-0 and should get you in to any like national people listening. Um he anticipated being voted third in the coaches poll. He doesn't really care. Just need to go win football games. Um, he does hope to get all the games in. He he did seem maybe a little bit concerned that there was no chance to make him up if you couldn't get those in. Um, he didn't really put percentages on it, but I'd say like based on his tone, he, he might think that there's like a 75% chance of that happening. Um, oh, he did have some interesting stuff to say about the... Uh, way that the eligibility works this year where essentially no players are going to lose a year of eligibility this fall he said that what really changes is that you can start to use some guys on special teams that you may have sat out uh his example was like you wouldn't just burn a year of eligibility for somebody to run down the field on kickoffs but this year that doesn't burn a year of eligibility so you could see some good young players out there uh doing that which is interesting to think about in buffs terms um he said that uh really was an advantage to have uh, the California and Oregon teams unable to practice. And he just basically said, I hope we took as much advantage of that advantage as we could. We have a lot of new guys to work in. And uh, one of those new guys is Clark Phillips, uh, a corner who is like a top 50 prospect in the country. Um, and a lot of questions about him, a lot of praise from Kyle Whittingham about him. Um, I would expect to see a lot of him. He got asked where to expect to see him play. Um, and he said it could be inside, could be outside. He did say that the nickel spot is the most difficult spot in their defense. And so if he's playing inside, then honestly, I mean, that would be terrifying going forward um, for the rest of the conference. Um, da -da -da, more on special teams, he said that the players will buy in as long as the coach buys in. That's why they're consistently among the best in the country. Uh, he talked about Arizona, their first opponent, said that now that you know which quarterback you're preparing for, it isn't Cleo Tate or Grant Gannell, it's just Grant Gannell, that could actually give the defensive coordinators an edge. Interesting note. Um, interesting note for sure. That could mean some things for uh, Arizona going forward. I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it. It were the stats inflated for Grant Gannell because teams didn't know if they were going to face Grant Gannell. You know, that whole thing. Um, he talked about Colorado as well, um, said that uh, he was really impressed with the way the defense grew um, last year. He said that it, by the end of the year, it was a tough, hard-nosed defense. It was really clear how much it improved. Um, he doesn't know Carl Durrell personally, thinks he's a good coach, actually coached against him. Uh, Kyle Whittingham has been, he's the third longest tenured coach in all of college football. He's been at Utah for 16 years, which means he was there um, for most of the time that Carl was coaching at UCLA. Um, that's really it, but there hasn't been another coach popping up on my screen yet. So I'm going to jump back and one more note on USC. Um, Elijah Vera Tucker is coming back, the tackle offensive tackle who's one of the best in the country uh that news broke yesterday clay helton seemed really excited about it as you would expect when you get potentially your best football player back um i think that's it uh i'll be back in the half hour to you know <laughs> do this again 10 more all right 
Uh, just got done with Coach Sumlin from Arizona, and uh, it was a weird one. It was a weird one. Uh, he does have COVID, and honestly, that wasn't even the weird part. He was kind of, I don't know, he, he, he was in a pretty tense place. Um, for example, like he, he got asked if, uh, or what, what, what he felt about being picked last in the pack 12 South and the media poll that was released this morning. And he said something like, I, I didn't even know. So that should tell you what I think about it. And like the guy who asked the question, like laughed and Kevin just like looked into the camera and like glared. And it was like this weird, awkward moment. Cause he wasn't really looking at the camera all that much, except for like right there. Um, and, uh, you know, other stuff like, uh, oh, the follow-up question, like the guy asked, uh, will you use it as motivation? And he was, he was just like, no. And very, I don't know. I don't know. It was, it was kind of a weird thing. Uh, another kind of moment like that, um, oh, where is it? My notes. Um. Okay, before we move along, I want to tell you about Breckenridge Brewery. Uh, Breckenridge Brewery is the place to get your beer. It's the official beer of DMVR. It's a local Colorado company that has grown and expanded, and now they sell their beers in 36 different states. So even if you're an out-of-state Buffs fan uh, who's listening to this podcast, go pick some up. Um, I was at the DMVR bar last night, which is a great place to pick some up, at the corner of York and Colfax. I pushed those together into York, and that's not it um what i drink uh strawberry sky strawberry sky was the beer last night um it typically is i really really like those if you guys want to try one you can go on the breckenridge brewery website and it'll tell you exactly where each beers are located which stores you can get them um and uh that's if you go to the uh beer locator wow i spent sitting at this computer for six hours and i've gone a little bit crazy um so yeah uh do that check out those beers you can find them pretty much anywhere around colorado grocery stores costco liquor stores anywhere most bars even you can order them but uh if you want to be sure get on that beer locator and see where it says you should go to pick up Whatever beer it is that you do want to try from Breckenridge. Again, they're all so good. Also, the farmhouse down in Littleton is open with socially distanced dining. Um, there's space outdoors that's really nice. Really recommend them as well. Go get yourself a nice meal from the farmhouse at Breckenridge Brewery. Oh, he was asked if uh, a 7-0 and Pac-12 team can make the college football playoff. And he said, yes. And then there was like the awkward silence that comes after somebody gives a one word answer in a press conference. And then there was like a follow up and the guy was going to ask, like, do you have any concern about, um, you know, the number of games? And Kevin just kind of like cut him off and said, I answered the question. Yes. I was like, well, OK, then I guess that settles it. Um, it's kind of like that all the way through pretty short answers. He didn't have an opening statement. He said, like, ask me questions. Um, he did talk about COVID though. He said he's doing all right. That's what's important. Um, he said it's, it's a process is unfortunate. Um, we'll figure out where he is at the end of the week. He doesn't have symptoms. His son doesn't have symptoms. He's going through like a checklist every morning with his son to check for symptoms. Um, 
just said like the lesson here is this is serious you have to be aggressive and we're just lucky we don't have any of the symptoms um they did say uh one interesting note uh they got the four spring practices in and he said that gave the defensive coaches a chance to see the guys because there were so many new defensive coaches um not as much as they want obviously but enough to get some sort of idea which is something that the new coaches with the buffs did not get this spring um he's even though he can't go to practice we'll, we'll see because practices haven't really started yet um but um he he is like scripting everything with the coordinators um, making sure everything goes well all the meetings are still over zoom for for arizona and so uh he is still involved in all of those doesn't know who the linebackers are, who the starting linebackers will be. They kind of lost some there. Um, oh, he was asked about a new study that came out that said it's tougher for black coaches to get head coaching opportunities and tougher to retain them, a bunch of that kind of stuff. And he basically said, like, we don't need a study to see that. Like, that's been pretty obvious for a while now. Um, talked about Donovan Lai opting in. Uh, I think we talked about him on the podcast. Uh, he was the one who Phil Steele said is, like, I think he said like the star of the offensive line or like the superstar of the offensive line, something like that. Um, he, he was excited. Uh, he was excited. Um, anything else? Oh, Grant Cannell talked about him um, working on footwork, moving around the pocket. That's kind of what they've been working on with him. You did say receiver Jamari Joyner could be ready to break out. He is a very good football player uh, coming off of foot surgery. Um, so that's a, uh, that's basically all the information we got from Kevin Sumlin of Arizona. Uh, I'll be back again in another half hour. I don't even who are we talking to next? I'm actually not sure. All right, uh, just got done with Justin Wilcox of Cal. Um, not a whole bunch of new information from him. Um, I guess except that he said that. Cal has not been cleared by the local governments to start practicing. They're planning on starting camp Friday. He said they're anticipating getting clearance today or tomorrow. Something to pay attention to, though. Uh, he did say seven to eight guys have opted out because of COVID or or for whatever other reason, including Tevin Paul, who's a starting senior inside linebacker. It's a pretty big loss. Um, they already are pretty thin along the defensive line. And uh, they're going to have to throw some young guys in there. He didn't seem all that concerned about that. Uh, also got Cam Bynum back, the cornerback who um, he uh, Justin really hammered home how great of a leader he is and how hard he works and how good of a person he is off the field, all of that kind of stuff. Said that, uh, well, he, he had opted out, but as soon as we learned the Pac-12 was coming back, he decided immediately that he wanted to play. Um not much. I mean, he said it's really important to practice well. The clear, concise message during drills is going to be very important because you're limited on time. Um, kind of just like efficiency type stuff. Not surprising coming from that part of the country. Um, in California, they do have the 75-man cohort rule, uh, so you can't have more than that many people together. Uh, he, he has obviously spent a lot of time trying to figure out how to take advantage of that. Um, is it 75 and whatever's left? Is it 60 and 60? Um, but trying to make sure everybody's improving, nobody gets left behind. Um, and you give everybody a chance to prove themselves. Like I said, still some questions along that defensive line. Um, new offensive system. Who's going to fit in? Is it the guys who produced in the past? Um, like 
we learned from Kevin Sumlin, uh, those four practices in March were very valuable. He said um, more valuable than I had assumed. You know, you hear four practices, but you don't think four practices plus. You get three months to think about what you saw in those four practices. Um, didn't really have any thoughts on whether a 7-0 team should make the uh, college football playoffs. Said he aren't thinking about it. Basically, they're just thinking about what to do on Friday in practice. Um, so it's a valid question. And they're talented teams in the conference, but that's not his thing. Um, yeah, excited for Chase Garbers, the quarterback who's coming back. Um, junior is working well with the new coordinator, Bill Musgrave. Uh, steady demeanor. He's looking forward to him growing. He's picking up the new offense quickly. Um, another interesting note, though, is that they are going to have to follow the beginning of camp 20-hour rules, um, or the, the which you typically don't have. Typically, fall camp is full days of football, um, 20 hours is the plan for this particular fall camp, mostly because uh, there are classes going on and they can't leave all day. Okay, David Shaw's getting going now. Um, I'll be back in a minute. All right, uh, we just heard from David Shaw from Stanford. Uh, it is just so much fun to listen to him talk. Um, what was this first question? The first question was, uh, oh, do you believe in having to learn how to win? And then boom, he just goes for like five minutes. And just such a smart guy. He talked all about like the psychology of winning and needing guys who refuse to lose. Now it's not just game day and how you when you how you prepare and your expectations going and expecting to win and um, understanding that the important times are when you just cannot afford to make mistakes. He like quoted Magic Johnson saying, uh, "The great ones know when it's winning time." I talked about like the importance of like turnovers in those times. Um, how the most important play of the game could be a throwaway, which is just crazy to think about. But you know, you look back and how the most important play of the game can be an interception. Well, if the quarterback just makes a different decision, then all of a sudden that's not an interception. You keep the ball, and I don't know. Everything he says just gets you thinking. Uh, he he was asked about the 9 a.m. kickoffs. He didn't like those when they were brought up last year. He said his thoughts haven't changed. Um, it's too early. Um, he said that Stanford had a professor who recently passed away, but he was one of the foremost authorities on sleep, and they had had conversations about all this stuff. Um, college kids don't go to bed at 9 p.m. was a point that he made. It makes it hard. You know, 9 a.m. kickoff means a 6 a.m. wake-up call. Some coaches like to have their kids wake up early. It did not sound like that was something David Shaw believed in. He really did hammer home the importance of sleep. Um, when talking about the restrictions that Stanford's facing and uh, other schools in California are facing and across the Pac-12, really, um, he said he doesn't fault anybody. Um, he knows he just needs to be more creative um, he, because the, the government is doing what it thinks is right. And as long as it's doing what it's think it, th it thinks is right, he isn't going to complain about it. Um, but again, doesn't mean he needs to be more creative. They need to be ready to play football in one month. Um, talking about roster turnover, he had an interesting quote. There were a lot of guys who left. This isn't the quote. <laughs> there were a, got a lot of guys who left um, for various reasons. You know, you hear all about the the grad transfers because Stanford kids can't get into Stanford graduate school because that's even tougher to qualify for. Um, but he said, um, oh, where did it go? Where did it go? Uh, weird i know i wrote that down um but he did say essentially that some of that turnover um 
was kind of intended. You know, it doesn't necessarily um, that the depth led to the roster turnover. There it is, um, which is interesting. Maybe it was planned. Um, talking about the December signing day, something we've heard with previous coaches. Uh, he thinks that it's best to keep signing day in December, even though you may not give the student athletes a potential or future student athletes a chance to visit their campuses. They might have to do the virtual visits. There's no guarantee that moving it back a couple of months would mean that they do get to. Um, but with the February signing day, maybe that's one where you're flexible. Maybe not. Just kind of depends on what the numbers look like. Uh, I was asked about the NIL um, because there's a bill in the House the, that we haven't gotten into on this podcast, um, but the bill in the House essentially saying NIL needs to be allowed, uh, profiting off the NIL name image likeness for student-athletes. Um, and David Shaw was just asked, like, hey, I'm not sure if you've had much time to follow this with everything going on. And David Shaw, knowing everything about everything, basically said, yeah, you know, it's long overdue. I've been paying a little bit of attention. Um, it just makes sense. It, it actually sounds American to allow people to profit off of the things that they have and your name, image, and likeness. Those are things that you have. And then just, you know, casually drop, you know, I've talking with a lot of people, you know, Cory Booker, the senator out of New Jersey being one of them about this kind of stuff. He is just so well-connected. He said that they actually play college football together, something I didn't know. Um, but yeah, it's just super up on every issue you could ask him about. But he did say he doesn't think that the NIL should be able, you should be able to use it to recruit. You shouldn't be able to say, hey, you're going to make more money here. Um, any of that kind of stuff, but that they should be involved or that they should be allowed to educate and advise because it is an academic institution. They should be able to say, Hey, here's what's going to go on. Here's how they could take advantage of you, but they shouldn't be involved in the decision-making process of, do you take this deal? Do you not take this deal? Um, it is complicated. Uh, he did a very good job of speaking about it as you would expect. Um, Said nobody knows if the Pac-12 champ will get in. You need the conference championship, the conference champion to play well, not necessarily to be, undefeated but to play really well and it depends on what's happening around the country as well he's sad he doesn't get to play socal teams so it's going to be weird to play in Autzen stadium to open the season where oregon plays without fans he is in favor of funneling in some noise and enhances things for the players he says it brings out the emotions it makes it it's just kind of weird playing in a silent stadium also said it makes the tv broadcast better um feels more comfortable to watch um but also you don't want to impact the game so uh, I've got to run. All right. Uh, just heard from Nick Rolovich, the Washington State head coach. Um, most important note is that the cougar that he keeps in his office, which is dead but stuffed, was there today. It was right behind him in the camera. And today, the cougar was wearing a matching hat. Um, the hat matched Nick Rolovich's hat, kind of gray not cowboy hats, sun hat. Do men wear sun hats? I'm not sure. But it had like a circular brim, not like a sombrero, but, you know. Um, and there was a matching hat with the cougar. Um, so that was going on. I personally was kind of distracted by it because I love that sort of thing. Um, what else did we learn about football? Um, some interesting stuff from him. Uh, talking about how he wants to see what the quarterbacks, three-way quarterback battle, what they're comfortable with and what throws they're comfortable making, specifically like what concepts they're comfortable throwing at. You know, if you got the, like the hook and 
corner out on the outside, the smash concept. Is that something that the quarterback is willing to use, or is he shy away and he's quick to check it down somewhere else unless it's just perfect? You know, that kind of stuff, which was interesting to hear about because it's not stuff that the quarterback's really going to come to you and talk about. It's just something you see, and the coach needs to identify it, especially in a run-and-shoot offense like the one that Nick Rolovich runs. Um, Smart guy. Like listening to smart guys talk about football. Um, Needs to decide what to concentrate in and shorten practice time. He says that's always true, but especially true this year. That's going to be super important in deciding who's actually successful. Um, A lot of stuff about how underdogs could win. It kind of started with a question about... um, are you interested in playing more young players this year because it doesn't count toward their eligibility? Um, and instead of taking it the way that, uh, who was it? Uh, Kyle Whittingham took it saying, yeah, let's throw those guys out there because we aren't going to burn eligibility, let them play kick team, all that kind of stuff. Um, Nick Rolovich said, no, we're, <laughs> we're, we're just trying to win. He was kind of offended that that was even a question. Um, and then jumped in later talking about how everybody has the opportunity to win. You've seen underdogs everywhere else and that this year is going to be about who gets hot, who stays together and who wins early and just kind of buys in. And he finished that by saying, we have an opportunity to jump on people and then said, sorry, pounce on people. That's a good football coach. If I've ever seen one, um, cougar pun. Um, Learning to win, talked about situational football, third down, end of games, that kind of stuff. Nothing that's super new. Do it for each other. Show what's important to you. Coach-type talk. There was a lot of that. Um, He said that not having preseason games, the non-conference games, it's tough to identify uh, weaknesses in your opponents, but it's also tough to identify your strengths because you don't have a chance to kind of warm up against a couple of other teams. You know, Colorado doesn't get its warm-up game against CSU. Um so he said that that might be more tough. You know, you know, you have Max Borgie, you know, you have receivers who've been successful. Um, but those are kind of questions is what really is working for you in terms of quarterbacks, three-way quarterback battle. Um, you're, he's going to try him with different lines, with different weapons, because he wants to see the adaptability to see what works, who works regardless of situation. Um, uh, you hope he would hope for, um, in a perfect world, getting two weeks with the starter before the first game, knowing who that starter is, probably not going to be a perfect world. Uh, it could be game to game. I have the hiccups, and I don't have time for that right now. Uh, uh, next coach is coming on. Um, he did say that losing the media poll has added motivation. He, uh, he either didn't see it or really wanted people to think that he didn't see it before somebody brought it up. Um, was very nice in saying that you guys know what you're talking you know they're not the coaches and players but we do respect you guys you know that kind of stuff um so yeah need wants to see a will to be great there's a new coach you go in you need to assess where the players mindsets are um say it's okay to be great even for the janitor like coming in being like the best janitor being the best at everything that you do there that helps the university the university helps the football team aligning all these goals um That's kind of how he's seeing things. That's how he's approaching it. And I'm going to go listen to Mario Cristobal. All right. uh, Just got done with uh, Mario Cristobal, the head coach of Oregon. Um, Not, I don't know. Honestly, I can't get a read on him. Like this is probably the fourth or fifth time that I've heard him talk for like this long. And like he's very tense he has, like, this military vibe, but he also, like, a very smart guy, but pretty reserved in terms of the information he's giving out. Um, 
what do we know? So my, I had my hand raised. I didn't get my, you know, the button click hand raised. I wasn't like sitting here with my hand up for 25 minutes, but I didn't get to ask because I'm curious because he did talk a little bit about um, what he learned in those first few practices. Um, well, sort of. He mentioned it when he brought up Steve Stevens, who is a defensive back at Oregon, and that Oregon secondary is super beat up, just super beat up. Um, they lost a, a couple of guys to the opt-outs. They lost a couple of guys to the NFL. I mean, it's the opt-outs that really are killing them. Um, because I, I've said on before on this podcast that, to me, this was the best secondary in the country. Now... It's in the upper tier of the Pac-12 with a bunch of question marks. So he said, you know, Steve Stevens, nobody's been talking about him. People should be talking about him. Um, in our four uh, fall or spring practices, he was tearing things up. Um, so keep that in mind. Maybe maybe there's more there than we expected. You know, he, he talked more about similar things, saying um, a lot of jerseys you've seen for a long time are, are gone. Um, but he also says that there are players who are ready to to take big steps forward and fill in those holes. Um, you know, it makes sense. He, he talked about uh, the linebackers, Justin Flo, Noah Sewell, both freshmen, the number one and two inside linebackers in the country uh, in their high school classes. He says he expects huge things from those guys immediately. And there are more guys just among the linebackers who he's really excited to see. Um, talk more about Kayvon Thibodeau, the edge rusher who should be a monster in his second year. You know, he didn't seem all that worried about losing the players he lost. Um, really wanted to bank on the talent that he had coming through behind them. Um I think that's it in terms of the team. Oh, he did also say it's a three running back team. That's the core with uh, CJ Verdell, Troy Dye, and uh, Cyrus Habibi Likio. Um, that's that's what this team is all about, and that's what it was about last year. But these running backs who have been there for a couple of years are just getting better. Um, I personally am really excited to see it. Um, Non-football-wise, he said that... Uh, He's noticed a lot of missed tackles everywhere all across college football to start things off this season. That's going to be a clear emphasis for them as they go into camp. Um, other things like you need your entire roster to be COVID-free on game days. You need everybody, um, and that means following the protocols. I uh, also say he took a deeper dive into every team scouting-wise this offseason um, because they didn't know who they'd play, and he thinks that they are pretty prepared for the schedule they got because they had done that stuff um they also stress the importance of leaders you know oregon because of everything that's going on they actually sent most of their team home uh they got back here a few weeks ago and he's been happy with the number of guys he's seen like step up and kind of push people to be their best and be the leaders that you need to have especially during a season like this one um and he did say that they came back from that break uh, well ahead of where they expected and Seemed excited about it. All right, uh, Jimmy Lake from Washington just popped up, so I've got to go. All right, uh, just heard from Jimmy Lake, and uh, he's the head coach at Washington, by the way. He, uh, I really like him, is where I'm going to start. He had a lot of really good ideas. Seems like a really smart guy. Um, you can tell that with some coaches, like the the questions are pointed more toward the team, 
and for some coaches, the questions are more pointed toward college football as a whole and the path forward. You know, when we were talking about David Shaw in Stanford, he said a lot of things about the NIL because people want to hear his thoughts. Jimmy Lake got a lot of those questions, which says a lot about him, especially considering this is his first season as a head coach um, at Washington, uh, filling in for Chris Peterson. So just to jump in, I mean, let's talk about Washington real quick. Um, There's no deadline to figure out who the quarterback is. It's basically just once somebody proves that they're the guy. Um, and that's going to be true uh, for every position on the depth chart. Um, sounds like they're having some offensive line issues. They're two guys they know are going to be important, They're but they could line up anywhere on that offensive line, just depending on how the other three that kind of work out fit. Something to pay attention to as we watch Washington as things go forward. I think that was about it in terms of talking about Washington's football team, but he had a bunch of really interesting stuff to say. Um, the the stuff that I've already seen grab some national attention is what he said about uh, the college football playoff and the structure. You know, he's really against teams that didn't win their conference getting a chance to win the national title, which makes a whole lot of sense, and I'm totally on board with it. You know, if you can't win your conference, why should you get the opportunity to win a national championship? Um, So he threw that out there, uh, said that he actually wants a 16 playoff, and this is the time to throw it together. This is what's actually grabbing attention. Um, He says, get the conference champions in from the Power Five. There's one more spot. Give that the top group of five champion or... Uh, independent team, maybe a non-champion from the Power Five, but really doesn't enjoy that. Um, but really, just take the subjectivity out of it. And that was really the vibe of everything he said. Um, take the subjectivity out. Um, some interesting notes, you know, he said he came up with it was with his son. They spent like an hour, and I mean, it seems like a good plan. It's not hard to come up with a better plan than what is happening right now, in my opinion. Um, He said that there is a pretty strong East Coast bias against the Pac-12 as somebody who's been, who's lived in that part of the country, as somebody who's scouted for NFL teams and has seen that the talent is pretty evenly dispersed. Um, He he put together an interesting plan to fix the Pac-12, too. I mean, it all starts with winning your non-conference games, Um, Pac-12 hasn't been winning those recently. Um, He says that from the East Coast perspective, though, there's basically just this one conference that takes up the entire, an entire like third of the country, essentially. And it's just so easy to ignore. It's like those guys out West that really don't really matter all that much. Um, And to, to make it work out, you need more Power 5 teams traveling West. You know, it's the same stuff we always talk about. Get rid of the neutral site games. Stop with those schedule the home and homes and he said he's excited about the home and homes that washington does have scheduled um themselves um and you know there was even a question like what about having neutral site games in like vegas and la and he's like yeah at the very least get these people out here but you just need to get more home and homes um get those east coast teams out west don't make the the neutral site games you know, like USC versus Bama in Texas. Like, well, really, that's a home game for Bama. Um, recruiting notes. He says that he thinks the schedule is going to stay the same. He wants it to stay the same. Um, it's tough, but it's just the world we live in at this point. 
Um, they'll be using Washington will be using this non-eligibility year heavily, really relying on things like um, playing freshmen who you normally wouldn't want to burn a year of eligibility for, uh, especially with COVID. It says it was a great decision by the NCAA. Um, doesn't mind the 9 a.m. starts. It's good to let the rest of the country see the game. Um, West Coast people get to watch all the games everywhere. That's not true. People on the East Coast make it easy for them because they're not going to do it if it's not easy. Um, yeah, I think that that's pretty much it. Oh, he did say that Pac-12 deserves to have a spot in the playoff if they have a 7-0 and and or 6-1 and record and, and they look good. Um, so there's all that kind of stuff. Uh, and we are in with Jonathan Smith from Ohio, or Oregon State. I almost said Ohio State. That's wrong. Um, then Carl Durrell will be up next. All right. Uh, Jonathan Smith is still wrapping up the Oregon State head coach. Um, I jumped out a little bit early, so I don't miss any of what Carl's going to say. Um, some interesting stuff um, in terms of Oregon's football team. Uh, he really, really likes the depth at linebacker and receiver. Um, he thinks they have a chance to close more games this year. Uh, now that some of the playmakers on defense have had another year of experience, can maybe make some plays late. Um, he, he likes the way the running backs have developed, obviously getting Jamar Jefferson back, potentially the best running back in the Pac-12 should help them close out games. Um, yeah, uh, he said that in watching the first couple weeks of college football, he's noticed some conditioning problems. Um, and so that's something he's going to focus on with his team is making sure that they aren't worn out at the end of games. Um, he also said that, and this is an interesting note, um, he's going to continue to hold practices at 9 30 in the morning um to do that though that means according to him he needs to get the testing done by 8 a.m and that means you need to start the testing at 6 30 a.m so if something like 30 minutes ago or like four hours ago i don't know this whole day kind of is running together david shaw was talking about the importance of sleep and how he doesn't necessarily like getting his guys up early jonathan smith seeing things differently uh so that's interesting um Talking about the preseason poll, Oregon State was picked last. He said that he enjoys preseason polls. They build excitement. They start in debates. They're good for college football. He doesn't really put much weight on what they say, though. Um, Secondary is a question. He says there are 9 to 10 guys who could push to start. He really likes all the talent. He thinks there's a good chance they'll rotate, um, especially the beginning of the season, I'd guess, um, just to figure out who works best with who and where. Um in terms of the recruiting schedule, he wants it to stay the same. He says, if guys are willing to commit, why not let them sign? Makes sense to me. Uh, he likes the NIL bill that's in the house, um, but he does say, you know, it's not a simple solution. You need to have the right details, um, but he does feel strongly that he and the rest of college football should do as much as possible for student-athletes. Um, probably the last note is that... Uh, he admitted like experienced guys are going to have a leg up in camp battles um, just because they're proven. It's going to be tough for a young guy to come in and in such a short time frame prove that they are the best option. Um, and that means you'll likely see more veterans playing than young guys. Um, yeah. Um, oh, I, actually, one more note. Uh, so Oregon obviously has gone through all the legal stuff with the rules and guidelines that have been in place um because of covid um 
he says that he thinks they actually got a lot done in the offseason, um, including a, a big note that they could access the weight room for the majority of the summer, um, which he says was actually pretty nice. And actually in the last couple of weeks, uh, they could do more than they typically could during a normal summer in the last couple of weeks leading up to camp. And so that's a little bit of a leg up too. Um, he really isn't worried about it. Um, yeah, Carl Durrell's up next. Week four of football is in the books, and now it's time to review the tape and get ready for week five. There's no better place to get in on all of the action than with DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. To add to the excitement of week five, DraftKings Sportsbook is bringing back their can't-miss offer. If you haven't tried DraftKings Sportsbook yet, head to the App Store now because you do not want to miss this. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all new users the chance to receive a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. On top of that great sign-up offer, DraftKings offers great odds boosts every Sunday to help you make it rain. Don't worry if football isn't for you. DraftKings is giving all you basketball fans a 200% profit boost on any basketball market once you sign up. DraftKings is safe, reliable, and secure, making it easy for you to deposit and withdraw your money at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code DNVR when you sign up and get up to $1,000. That's code DNVR to get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. For a limited time only, only at DraftKings Sportsbook, must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions do apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. All right. Heard from Carl Durrell. Um... Came away really impressed. You know, it is kind of fun to see all of these guys talk back to back to back to back and see what's the same and what's different and all of that. Carl ranked us near the top. I'll say it for sure. Um, So much good stuff. Such a smart guy. So easy to root for. Um, You know, the call ended with a, a question about the the same study we referenced earlier that basically said black coaches don't get as many opportunities even when if you use everything quantifiable they should be getting those opportunities um things like experience all that um and he said that he's proud of the pac-12 for the opportunities they're given to black coaches you know it's it's still the most black coaches in one conference anywhere in the country and i think it's a pretty wide margin too um I really don't feel like I should sum up what he said. It really was good stuff. Um, But he did really emphasize how important it is for young coaches to see what's happening in the Pac-12 and understand that they will have opportunities. And they might not have as many opportunities as they deserve, but you're starting to see some people understand what's happening and see them take advantage, or not take advantage, but do what's right and give people opportunities. And that's what's happening in the Pac-12, he said. Um, So much stuff. Big news in my mind is probably uh, Antonio Alfano. Um, Finally got the answer there. He was reinstated. He did, according to Durrell, did great work over the summer, got himself eligible, took care of business from a school perspective. Now he needs to be cleared medically. Apparently he's been limited by some sort of injury since the spring. Not sure what's going on at all there, but uh, that is the update. They're working the best. They're trying to find a way to get him to 
play, um, but it does sound like there are some other injuries. Um, it didn't sound all that serious. Uh, I missed the beginning of a sentence where he said something. was like, I, I thought he said that all of the major injuries came before and they were on, you know, Jared Poplowski with the ACL, things that we've known. Um, he did say that there are some soft tissue um, issues at the moment. Um, no broken bones. He said we're in fairly good health was the line. Um, tweaked hamstrings, groins, that type of stuff. Um, it's hopeful that they'll get clearance from Boulder County to to practice on Friday. Um, really thankful to be playing. He says everybody is. This the level of appreci appreciation is higher than ever before in the locker room. He said, um, and. In terms of expectations, Mark Kisla asked the question, like, what should the expectations be this season? Which is a very important question to ask. Any question that comes from Kisla, like, I love Kisla personally. I have a good relationship with him. You know, you know the shtick, though. Um, Darrell said, we still have great expect our aspirations. Um, that we've done good off-field work. We know all the information. Now we just need to pull it together. Later on, though, in the call, he said something that I really liked and basically said, like, we're going for the championship. We aren't in here trying to do anything other than go win ourselves a Pac-12 title. And I know I, the line was, I know there are probably some people on this call who would scoff at this, but, and kind of kept going, um, I love it. I love it. I really like pretty much everything he had to say. What else did we know? Um, who's asked about Brendan Lewis um, and said that Brendan basically has set most of the weight room records for quarterbacks. Um, he's been very impressed, extremely talented, tremendous athlete, really good arm. His arm is as good as anybody else on the roster. And the challenge now is can he pick up the system and own it? Uh, the system is still kind of TBD. It, it will be kind of him working with – Danny Langsdorf, the quarterback's coach, and Darren Cheverini, the offensive coordinator, to figure out what is best. Um, and, and you don't really know until you get the quarterbacks out there and get to start trying different things. One thing he said is that their Rolodex of information is just so deep, and they have so many different things that they could try to see what fits right with this specific group of personnel. Um I trust it. I really do trust it. Um, I asked him, uh, basically, like, is there anybody or any position group that's really stood out to you so far, even though we haven't really been on the field much? And he said the deepest and most experienced groups have been the offensive and defensive lines. Not a huge surprise, but definitely good to hear. He went on to say, as a new coach, if there's anything or any place you want experience, it would be up front. Um, and then shouted out like the three returning starters on the defensive line with Jalen Sami, with Mustafa Johnson and uh, Terrence Lang um, from there. So he starts by talking about the offensive linemen and then said, I like the backfield. That was next up off of after all the linemen he said Fontenot leads that group, but I like that group. It sounded like it was like, you know, they're. I don't know. It'll be fun. It'll be fun to see that group. It'll be really fun. Uh, from there, he went to the receivers. Uh, he's excited about the, the depth there. Even with Visca gone, he really likes uh, KD, all that kind of stuff. Uh, linebackers have three starters back. He's excited. And then he finished things off by talking about the secondary and basically said, um, there's a lot of good young talent 
that's trying to establish itself. Um, he, he noted the, the progress that that defensive backfield made last year uh, under Mel Tucker and uh, thinks that they can keep building. Um, there are things there that could work in our favor, I think was the line that he finished talking about the secondary. So not a whole lot of like in-depth information about anything, but it is always fun to see what a new coach thinks of all these groups. And uh, personally, I, I'm really excited by it. And this isn't going to be a podcast where I give all my thoughts because Chip Kelly's been talking for seven minutes now and I haven't heard any of it. But uh, I'll give one thought. This team's identity is going to be running the ball. It doesn't matter who the quarterback is. The identity is going to be running the ball. That is what you know that you should be good at. Offensive line, running backs, that's what you've built. Well, to hear those two get shouted out, that's what you want to hear with the defensive line. Shutting down the run, that's the first thing you have to stop. Ask any defensive coordinator. He will say, what you have to do first is not let him run the ball on you. After that, you figure everything else out. So... If you could pick the top three groups to get shouted out, I think offensive line, defensive line, running backs might have been what I wanted to hear. Again, not like a huge surprise. They are experienced, but uh, let's go. Uh, all right, I got to go listen to Chip Kelly now. All right, uh, Chip Kelly just wrapped up his little session there. That means only one left, which is, uh, you know, I really enjoy all of this, but... Maybe split into two days would have been all right instead of six hours going straight through. Um, I honestly don't have much to say about what Chip Kelly said. It was a lot of talking about the coronavirus, which is important, but I feel like over the course of the last six months, I've kind of covered that on this podcast, which I affectionately called the DNVR coronavirus podcast for a second. Um, yeah, I mean, he had it. His wife had it. They really, they had one player opt out because of the, his concern about the virus, and he was standing by him saying, we really trust it, we understand how hard it is, it's for real, it's not a hoax, the long-term effects are scary. Um, I, I think he said he hadn't gotten scanned to see if he does have any of the lung or heart scarring that can come along with the coronavirus. Um, but yeah, it, it, there was a whole lot of that, uh, a whole lot of talk about the soft tissue injuries that you're seeing in the NFL. Um, didn't really have much of a plan to stop those, um, but it is something to be aware of and focus on, you know, stretching and making sure you're building up to what you're doing, that sort of thing. Um, football wise, uh, only one player is injured right now, the punter, uh, and he is actually out right now, um, because, when the Pac-12 said there wasn't going to be a season, he decided to get surgery, and it turns out there was a season, and so now he's recovering from surgery when otherwise he wouldn't have gotten the surgery, and he would have been playing the season. Um, so that's probably a mistake by the Pac-12 in their handling of things, but uh, I don't know. Um, what else is going on? Um... Oh, he he also emphasized that this really isn't a fall camp because of school and because of the different ways that it's structured. Um, he didn't really have any thoughts about the Pac-12 making the college football playoff. Just grateful for the opportunity to play. So that's a good question. He just doesn't have much to add at this point. Herm Edwards is logging on and he's moving his camera around. Oh, there he is. Um, oh, yep, there he is. Um, but yeah, so that's about it. 
from him. Okay, uh, Herm just finished up, um, which finished up the whole day of these calls. Um, so let's just run through these notes. Um, he did say that they're a morning team, so similar to the Jonathan Smith thing. Um, I'm not sure what exactly that schedule looks like, but what Jonathan had them starting testing about three hours before practice. I will. I, I would expect for that to uh, be about the same for Arizona State as well. Um, I think that uh, you know they they open the season with that morning game, the 9 a.m. start. Um, he was quick to bring up Jaden Daniels going home for the first time. Um, so it's his team, all of that kind of stuff. They got to get to the stadium two hours before kickoff. He didn't really seem concerned about any of that early morning stuff. Um, you know, more on Jaden Daniels. He, he said that he's been trying to get more leadership qualities out of Jaden Daniels. I, I think that I'm not sure if he ever said that it's worked, but it was all pretty positive stuff. Just talking to himself about not getting dragged down by what outsiders are saying, not getting dragged down by what the expectations are, living out to the expectations. It's about setting your own standards, just doing your work, enjoying being a student athlete, all that kind of stuff. Don't get caught up on anything else. Um, uh, he likes the running backs. You know, it's a young group. He's excited to see how they're used. They're all very different. Most of them, I don't, I'm, I mean, they don't have many carries ever total in college football, and the ones they use may have virtually none. Um, also shouted out his receiver, uh, let's see, what's his last name? Johnny Wilson, who uh, is a true freshman. Sounds like we might see some of him. Um, very long, big catch radius. Um, they think he's a he, he Herm said he thinks that people will see him and think he's a long strider just because of his build, but he's a little bit quicker than that. Um, said he's fantastic. Um, in terms of anything else on the football team, I think that that's about it. Um, outside of ASU football, he touched on. Um, oh, he did say that the shortened Pac-12 season makes it feel kind of like the NCAA tournament where you kind of just have to win to keep going and win to keep going, win to keep going. And if you make it all the way through 7-0, and then there's a good chance you make the college football playoff, and the same thing is true. Um, uh, the, he, the black coaches thing was brought up with him as well. Um, he also said he really didn't need a study to figure any of that stuff out. Um, told some pretty cool stories, um, including getting into the NFL back in 1977. Um, 28 teams at the time, only seven coaches of color. Um, him and Tony Dungy being two of them really early on. That's not like head coaches. That's just like of all of the coaches all across the league, seven of them were black. Um, or I guess of color, we don't know exactly. But um, he did say it's like we need to do better, but it's refreshing to see the Pac-12 leading the charge. Um, more on college football playoff, he really wanted to emphasize like how hard it is to do that job this year because so many of these teams are going to be missing players. And so if you go through the 10-game season and you lose two of them, but you, you played against one team that was down six starters on offense, like what does that mean? Basically just said he's happy he doesn't have to do it. Um, yeah. Uh, he says throughout football, college, and pro, he, he sees the offenses being ahead of the defenses. Um, and that's something that he is going to have in mind 
as he goes through all of this. Um, also asked about the heat in Arizona. No longer playing in September when it's still really hot. Season doesn't start until November. He says he feels like it's a disadvantage. Uh, they typically do all their conditioning outside. They do most of their practicing outside. And he says that that is the best way to do it in that heat. It helps with stamina. Um, plus, you have teams coming in early in the season that aren't ready for that heat. Um, and it is an extra home field advantage for Arizona State. Um, I think that that's pretty much it. So uh, I'll be back with another one of these podcasts tomorrow talking more about Carl Durrell and the buff stuff or anything else that I think of. Um, but, yeah, if you guys have any thoughts on any of this, as always, you can leave them in the comment section of the post for today's show at thedmvr.com, and we'll get to all of those tomorrow. Um, all right. I think they like my Colorado swag. Cause when I'm in it play, I don't really, I don't really know just how to act. And when I'm in it go, you know I'm acting bad. Holly get a bus with my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. I think they like, I think they like my Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. My Colorado swag. Man, I swear, I think they like my Colorado swag. Colorado swag, my Colorado swag.